Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm your host, Tyler Friel, and this evening I'm very, very fortunate to sit down with a couple of the nicest people I know and most accomplished bow hunters I know, Ken and Anna Voracek. Thanks for taking the time to sit down with me this evening. Hey, we're glad to be Our here, pleasure. Tyler. Yeah, so you guys have been off adventuring, and I mean, I don't even really know where to start with you guys. It's Both of you have completed the... the North American 29 Super Slam with your bows, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, just thinking about that, kind of being a sheep hunter myself, is pretty overwhelming. It all Every time I think about the amount of time and effort, even with a rifle, to go to go get the, the 29, is a pretty daunting task. You know, it's kind of daunting, but on the other hand, uh, you know, we like to hunt. We like to go on the trips. And it's not like, um, at least in the beginning and through most of that um, time of trying to accumulate those animals, you're doing it because you like the hunts. Yeah. Towards the end, it becomes a goal. And in some respects, it takes a little bit of the fun away because now you're pressured to get these animals. Yeah. So, you know, but for the most part, you know, it's been fun trying to get them and there are lots of neat hunts. And it's really a matter of persistence because... We don't, we're not successful in every hunt. Yeah. I, it took um, five hunts for me to get a stone sheep. It took me 11 hunts to get an elk. And so you're not getting them all, the, you know, every hunt. Oh, so yeah. So it's just a matter of going back. You know, I think, yeah, I think that's kind of a fallacy just to think, be, you know, because you can go can go on the hunt that it's going to happen right away and that's that's not hunting <laughs> not not what a bow it isn't no yeah. actually my philosophy on that was if i didn't get an animal i was really excited because i got to go not back to and go, hunt that not to go again. <laughs> and i was thinking i had to pay for it and... <laughs> <laughs> oh but you know what are you going to do you have to go out and do what you love i mean oh, yeah. you know if you don't life can get pretty sad and boring so we just go for it yeah now, what, um, like, because it's different for everybody, what got each of you interested in, in bow hunting primarily? Because you guys pretty much just bow hunt. Yeah, strictly bow hunting. I did it um, when I was a little kid. I wanted a, a, a rifle or, you know, something to go hunting with just as a just as a little guy. And my folks wouldn't get me a rifle at that age, but they bought me a bow. So I started shooting a bow. And then I, um, I liked it. And um, I ended up, as I got a little bit older, got a plumber friend that was in archery and back then i mean we're talking 50 years ago that um, wasn't you know wasn't very popular but he did so i used to go over to his place and we'd shoot the bow and he'd take me into pennsylvania hunting and it's just something that i developed a, a like for and never had any desire to change i just liked it no, so i've cool. just done it my entire life then you know it's not for everybody but yeah for me it worked Right. And I got into bow hunting, actually, after I met Ken. Um, You know, maybe, you know, you're in Girl Scouts or Campfire Girls or whatever as you're growing up. Maybe we had shot a bow then, but I don't remember it. Um, But it was after I met Ken and he introduced himself as a bow hunter. And I went, bow hunter? What do you mean, a bow hunter? And of course, then he kind of started telling me about it and suggested I get one. and, And here we are. Yeah. X amount of years later, you know. Yeah, looking at all sorts of... Not, and not just North American stuff. You guys have been, been able to go hunting all over the place. I see a tar, mountain goats, polar bear, all sort of big caribou, and a couple grand slams of sheep. And <laughs> yeah, well, you shoot 29 of um, the North American animals, and we, you know we've done it twice, Anna and I both have. So, you know, it's a lot of hunts. It's a lot of game. 
but and we've hunted a little bit in Africa, but North America really is our you know where our heart is. You know, a, a yeah. good bear hunt or a good sheep hunt. You know, they're they're really you know hard to beat. They're really at the top of the list. They're really neat experiences. And you've hunted a lot, Tyler, especially sheep. And I mean, every hunt's a little different, but every hunt's extreme. Every yeah. hunt is something that's just pretty unforgettable. Yeah, and that's one thing. You know, I don't know. Obviously, you guys live in Alaska or <laughs> at your house. Um, I don't know. Just Alaska has such a cool variety of, of hunting opportunities. You know, like I was just down at Kodiak hunting mountain goats in March, mm-hmm. and you know, from there to up on the Brooks range, sheep. I mean, it, you know, we know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, there's lots of opportunity here. There's lots of different animals you get to hunt. Uh, there's also uh, British Columbia and Canada has phenomenal places. Yeah. You know, British Columbia and Alberta, they've got some absolutely beautiful places and um, maybe not quite as harsh a climate as we have. So it's actually in a way a little more pleasant, but and they have a lot of those animals and even places like wyoming you know they have a, i don't know what it is exactly but i think they're pushing like eight big nine. game animals nine or nine so you know there's some you know montana idaho utah has quite a few so there's lots of good places in north america yeah there is i mean myself personally you know we talked a little bit earlier about just africa and stuff like that i mean I could spend my entire life and never probably do it all. Well, I know I could never do it all just in North America. And, and yeah, it's, it's pretty overwhelming when you start getting to, even just in Alaska, all the different places and trips you can go on. It's pretty cool. And uh, you guys spend quite a bit of time in Southeast too, don't you? Yes, we do. We have a boat down there. And in fact, we're going to be headed there soon. And we love to hunt bear. You know, bear are fun. Um, yeah. I mean, they're different to hunt, too. Well, you know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we'll be headed down there soon, and we'll spend the month of May down there um, hunting black bear this year. Next year, I'm up for um, grizzly, yeah, uh, not it, brown bear again. Yeah, because it'll, it'll be four years since you yeah. killed a brown so bear. Yeah, so I there. think we're going to all head to uh, Admiralty Island next year. and. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, we'll get back out there on the brown bear. Yeah. That's always exciting. Yeah, it's uh, and I was gonna ask you guys before we get too off the, I I wrote down a list of, of topics that I want uh-huh. to cover because I'm so scatterbrained and then I forgot it, but uh, I guess for each of you, like, what's probably if you could even boil it down to like your most maybe your most challenging hunt and or your your favorite bow hunt that you've been on. If you could even boil it down, because that's tough for me, too. Well, yeah. to me, it's it's not difficult at all, really. Um, I look at it a couple of ways. One is the best hunt in North America, as far as I'm concerned, is polar bear. It yeah. is, nothing is like it. And it's the most extreme. It's the most remote. It's just, it's just phenomenal hunt. It, it, if you're looking for an experience, mm-hmm. it really is. So, you know, it's at the top of the top of the heap. As far as the most challenging, I think that depends a lot on how your hunts actually go. Yeah. I mean, some people say maybe like a coos deer is a hard and one. And I guess to that's get. what I was getting at was like, you know, in your experience, like, you know, what was the, was the most challenging for you 
Probably elk for me. It took 11 hunts yeah. to kill one. So, you know, for various reasons, but it did take that many. Yeah. So yeah. that was a challenge. And mine was probably doll sheep. I, you know, I, why? I don't know. But anyway, um, the other would have been uh, bear, you know, like brown bear, grizzly mm-hmm. bear, just because of kind of the intimidation factor. Um, you know, I I deal with a fear of, of wounding. Yeah. Or not hitting it right. And and so then it's like, okay, so now you're already nervous. And, you know, you just, it's like, okay, if if I don't hit this thing right on, I'm not the only one out here. There's other people out here with me. And, you know, is that thing going to come over the log at us or under the log at us? Or, you know, and so I'm constantly at war with myself in my mind mm-hmm. when, I, when I go out to hunt, you know, something like that. And yeah. um, anyway, just, of course, then it puts a damper on how quick... And um, how concise you are on on getting your bow up and making the decision when you need to be making that decision. Yeah, well, I mean, I it seems like for me anyway, you know, whether I'm practicing or in a hunting situation, I can only be thinking about one thing <laughs> when I shoot, and and that's you know, and and having been around them quite a bit, when you've got a bow, especially on you know a big coastal brown bear. I don't care who, if, if you say you don't get a little puckered up when they're that close. I think you're there. Anybody says that is lying. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. You say like you can only focus on one thing and this isn't to bash the guides, but I don't know how many hunts I've been on. Sometimes you have to have a guide for like mm-hmm. in Canada and places and certain animals. So, you know, you do hire them. And also when you have a guide, I, I basically your odds go up. You yeah. Know, I mean, your, your success rate goes up. I mean, we can go on do it yourself hunts. And they're fun and they're successful, but the outfitters usually have the logistics. They really know the areas. They're very capable in some cases. And your odds of killing increase. But with that said, when you're going along with a guide and the animal's there and they start like poking you, okay, get ready to shoot or okay, draw your bow. And they start doing all this kind of stuff. I'd like to see anybody... You know, when you're shooting, like you say, you got to focus on your shot. Yeah. You need no interruption. It's like, okay, let me poke you on the arm, and now yeah. you make a good shot. You know, it just adds a whole distraction to it that if they yeah. would just be quiet and trust that you can make the shot, or, or you know, let. I mean, they're not they're not increasing the odds by doing that. Yeah, and even and it's even though it's not and even though it's good, you know, well intended, right? You know, because there are you know some clients, you know, I've seen that are out of their element and they kind of need but but i can definitely see that that would rattle me a little bit it's like, just shut up just let me <laughs> let me do what i need to do there's more than one of them i told luck when we get to the animal and we're ready to shoot don't say a word and every time they just they just they can't help themselves yeah they just gotta start opening their mouths and it's distracting yeah and it's funny you know <clears throat> just how any how easy it is for little things to creep in there and and distract you on a shot Oh, yeah, like when you see a bear and you go, okay, don't hit it in the shoulder. Shoulder, 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 shoulder. Yeah. So what do you do? You hit yeah. it in the shoulder. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, I... She might have been talking about me then. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, about had, I, I about screwed one up last year, you know, hunting my bait there. It, it t- I think it had been about two months of the end of the season and hadn't got a shot yet and boat pro I was half boat mechanic all last spring and finally this bear this grizzly bear comes in and broadside and 
he turned broadside and I started to draw and I must've just been a little excited, shoot off elevated rest to shoot my veins and the arrow just tink right on the riser. And he of course, you know, popped up and came Uh walking over to see what the heck happened. And I just had to finish my draw and put the arrow back on the rest with the one finger. And I'm thinking, and this thing is, he's going to spook and he's never coming back. And I'm like, well, I guess now I just bent at the hip. He was, I think, eight yards from the tree, like pointed directly at me and bent at the hip. And he looked up and started turning. And as soon as he got to 45, I, I shot him right in the shoulder, which I had done a lot of, uh, built like 700 grain arrows with those, uh, single bevel broadheads and shot enough with them that I knew it wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad shot and it punched right through them I think the ground stopped it coming out but yeah that was that was a close one (laughs) after I actually got the arrow in that bear I just just little thing like arrow falling off the rest getting a little too excited and uh almost screwed up the whole thing for me (laughs) It well, doesn't take much to screw it up either. No. But I know you I know you shoot with really heavy arrows and you know that's one thing that um we went back and forth. Well, Ken used to throw logs as everybody would tease him when I first <laughs> met him, those big old aluminum arrows with the compound that he was still pulling with his fingers. Yeah. I mean, that's not even that long ago. And um you know, so then so when I started out, I was I was shooting with some um aluminum arrows but i also kind of mixed it up with um uh, carbons anyway so then you you know you go hunting places and they're like oh you know if you're going to kill this you need a light fast arrow so you need to be shooting carbons and stuff and so you start doing that and you know really it's all come back around to where i've been killing some of my last animals with those big old aluminum logs it's really funny how (laughs) how that's worked hasn't you know and you know, not being, not being a, I guess, ex archery expert myself. It's just funny how you've seen that in the market was really for speed and super fast bows. And, and I mean, just from my personal experience, it seems like those heavy arrows with, you know, a good broadhead just flat out out penetrate. And that's what Um, they do for me. They out penetrate, you know, I know if I shoot an animal with one of those, it's going to go down, mm -hmm. you know, where, I don't know, carbons, you know, they'd go through and I was down to where at times I was, you know, using a, a small broadhead and, and, and I guess that's fine if you're shooting perfect all the time, but you know, I don't shoot perfect all the time. Yeah. And that's what Ken said at the beginning, you know, we're not the best hunters we we don't always make perfect shots. What we are is persistent. And that's why we've been able to get out and hunt and take the animals we've taken. And I'm glad you said that not to cut you off. Yeah. <laughs> Ken was getting ready to go. That's all right. I, I'm glad you said that about being persistent and not always being, you know, not always being the best shot because it that's so much of it is being persistent. You know, every if you hunt very much, everyone's going to make a bad shot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Eventually, it's just it's just a fact of life. We don't have to like it, but uh, but it's it's a very imperfect world and dynamic situations. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so. And that's one reason I, I shoot those those heavier arrows is just because it'll give me a little more leeway if I do screw it up. Right. Yeah, we've seen it with Anna set up. You know, she shoots about 52 pounds, which is plenty adequate, but yet, you know, not on the super powerful side either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if you shoot a light, fast arrow, you know, it, it you know everything's a trade-off. So there's a flatter arrow. Your um, range estimate isn't, have to, isn't as critical. 
You're reaching out there further. You're, you're, you can make further shots and, and stand and hit them, you know, reasonably well. But, you know, the, the amount of oomph that arrow has by the time it gets there is questionable in our mind. And if you start shooting something like a moose or a brown bear, it can make a difference on the penetration. Mm-hmm. So you you back, uh, you know, you, if you're shooting a small animal, maybe it's adequate. But you you back back up a little bit and add some weight to that arrow. Now, all of a sudden, you know, anything over 40 yards is probably out of the question just because you arc on your arrow. But if you can range fine and you can live with the arc, you can live with the trajectory, and you add that extra weight, I guarantee when that arrow gets to the animal, you're going to do more damage and you're going to get better penetration. And, and I've seen it over and over again. So it's just this trade-off thing. You know, you can decide if you want to try to shoot 60, 70 yards, reach way out there, you know, and if you can pull back 70 pounds, you might be fine with it. But at 50 pounds, I suggest you probably aren't fine. Yeah. Um, so... You know, you just got to balance it all in the size of the animal and, and all the circumstances involved. Like with polar bear, you know, basically you can get pretty close to those polar bear. Mm-hmm. So you don't need uh, a light arrow. You don't need to shoot them at 60, 70 yards. You can shoot them at 30 yards or mm-hmm. 20 yards. And so you might as well put some weight on that arrow and, and give it all the emphasis it, it can have when it reaches there. Yeah. And people are definitely catching back onto that. Is it... Um, it kind of just a few years ago was like fighting the tide, you know, mm-hmm. you know, why would you, in kinetic energy, I think is, is a big selling point for speed. Cause that, you know, the, the higher your speed is that that kinetic energy is magnified. But, uh, yeah, like I, I don't think the arrows I shoot now would be adequate for North American big game, according to, <laughs> according to one of you know, one of the arrow manufacturers kinetic energy, but, yeah, it's just amazing how heavy arrows slam through stuff. They have so much more momentum, and it remind that reminded me of my wife's first black bear. <clears throat> Actually, the the night we went out for you know, first time taking her out to get a bear, and she had some pretty light carbon arrows, and I can't remember what broadhead she had, but they were pretty light. Um, bear came in, she shot it just perfect, and I had it. I lost the footage, but I have it on video just perfect shot and i don't know if it hit a rib or or what but bear took off and the arrow was just flopping out of it Mm -hmm. and my thought was oh well the arrow just backed back out you know spent all the next day looking for it and went about a quarter mile before the thing just finally quit bleeding and you know watched the footage over and over i don't think she got more than two or three inches of penetration and so said well enough of this and built her you know got her up some of my arrows that were heavier and some of my heavy broadheads and then you know took her out the next night we went out bear came in shot it in the exact same spot and it stuck in the tree behind it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and you know that's what i was finding and and you know so my setup had gone from where i was shooting heavier you know when i first started with the mm-hmm. aluminum arrows and stuff to shooting the light and you know with an 85 grain broadhead on it now certainly 85 grain broadheads can kill things but I've had the exact problem that your wife Faith had is where it just doesn't get in the penetration enough or to me, it didn't leave enough blood. You know, I double lunged an elk and it, that hole going through was so small, yeah. you know, that literally there was no blood. Um, but on the other hand, I don't shoot mechanicals either Yeah. because one time I shot a turkey and one of them didn't deploy. I'm certainly not going to take a mechanical out and try to, you know kill myself a brown bear or something with that you know i just 
I, yeah, I know a lot of people use them, but I, you know, you figure out what works for you and you use that. Yeah. And, and that's what we've just figured out is, you know, just a, I, I shoot a 440 grain total um, arrow. Yeah. You know, with, with broadhead and stuff. And that's what I'm shooting. And that's adequate. That comes out of my bow without too much arc. You know, I can easily shoot out 40, 50, I, you know, 60 even if I had to. But I don't want to. Part, yeah. of, part of the reason I bow hunt is because I want to be close to the animal. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, and that's good, like finding the, finding the balance of the range, getting the range you want and having a, he- a, a heavier arrow that will penetrate better, mm-hmm. I think is good rather than going to either extreme. But, uh, Ken, you had mentioned something earlier that I wanted to go back to with, about polar bear hunting, and uh, you'd said about something about hunting, the experience of it. And I've never been polar bear hunting, although I would love to. Um, it reminds me of muskox hunting, of the muskox hunt I went on with my dad. And, oh, we caught caught a bunch of flack on the videos from that, saying, oh, it's, it's too easy. Well, it's... It had its, you know, any hunt like that because guys will guys will knock polar bear hunting as not being challenging or whatever. You know, you kind of see it, but it's. I mean, everything's challenging in its own way, and just the experience of of all that. It's kind of why you're there in the first place. Exactly. You know? The experience of the native people in these northern locations, like we hunted uh, polar bear. We've been on two polar bear hunts, uh, but the last one was with Anna's, and it was in out of Grease Fjords in Nunavut, and that's the furthest north uh, furthest north uh, community. community in North America. Oh, it's wow. It's like way up, you know, as far north as you can get, and it's in Canada, but in, in Nunavut. And, you know, the people are great. They're a small little village. They're like 130 people in this village. Their history is absolutely unbelievable how they ended up there and the way the government treated them, and it wasn't very good. But yeah. um, they have a real, real history and story to that whole village. But the out, the people we were with were great. And the whole hunt, you know, you're out there on the ice. You're hunting them off dog sleds. Um, it's 30, 40 below. And these people are 100% reliant. Um, they're, uh, you know, they can go out there and exist in these conditions. Yeah. And it, it's just so different. And they're so competent and, and so real. I mean, there's just no place on earth I've ever been that's as real as out on the ice pack with these guys and their dog and it's just usually the outfitter or the main guide Mm -hmm. and a helper you know and it's just an experience that i don't know anything else like it you know know? and they just they love being out there you know they they love being on that ice they're really at home there um yeah it's a great experience it really is yeah someday someday i keep Wishing they'd they'd revisit the whole Marine Mammal Protection Act. <laughs> well, the, good the, luck there. Yeah, good luck. But here's the thing. You can't put your life on hold. Nope. If we put our life on hold, we never would have had all the adventures we've had. That's, so what you do is you put it on the layaway plan. Yep. And you start making your payments. Yep. That, You'll get up there, Tyler. Yep, that is true. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh you know, and I you see it seems like you see it, especially social media. And I think basically boils down to people being jealous no matter what you do but any you know well-traveled hunter always i'm sure you guys have seen comments oh well just because you got a lot of money well and, and people with my favorite one is oh well the average joe can't afford that well I, you know the yeah, average i'm thinking the, of how the, the average the, joe doesn't doesn't save his money isn't good with his money <laughs> yeah well 
the average person can do this stuff. Yeah, they really absolutely. can. Yeah. Now, there's certainly people with a lot of money. There's certainly a lot of people with way more money than we got. You know, yeah. wh- you know, I came to Alaska when I was 23 years old, and I left Ohio with 500 bucks, and, and nobody gave me anything yeah. since then. So, you know, you know, I paid my dues, and mm-hmm. we do fairly well now. I mean, we're not rich, but we can afford to go on our trips, and we save, and we plan, and we yep. make it happen. It's a priority in our life. But we leave, live within our means. Yep. We, you know, we that's do the live key. within our means. That is a big thing. And so, you know, people can do what they want with their life if they choose to do it. I mean, you can do it. It's you just have to work at it. And, you know, and when you, I yeah. said the layaway plan, literally, that's how, you know— we book these hunts out one or two, you know, we have to use a guide or whatever, mm-hmm. one or two years in advance, sometimes even three years in advance we've booked them. And, you just, you know, they want a deposit, and then the next year you have to pay some more, yep. then the next year you have to pay some more. By the time you get there, it's paid for and it's free. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and I see that so much, especially, you know, in my context with, with sheep hunting and, oh, you know, I'd never be able to afford, well, you know, if, what it boils down to, whether you live in Alaska or you don't, or you live in these places or you don't, I don't know. To me, it seems like just setting your mind like this, I want to accomplish this goal. I want to go do this. What is it going to take for me? What am I going to have to cut back on and how much? And I think when people start, if people, you know, someone started looking at, all right, well, what would it take to put aside for x amount of years people would be surprised it's when you just you just spend blindly you know go about your day or you give up on your dream you know right and and everybody's means are different and and that's not to say some people maybe can't do it or or it's not to say some people might have to save five years to go on one sheep hunt where we might be able to do a sheep hunt every year or something so you know they're all all different levels of finances and there's all different levels of of people's capabilities of doing this stuff but the point really is is if it's important to you and you really want to do a sheep hunt or even a polar bear hunt, I suggest that there's not many people that could not do it if they wanted to. It's just a matter of making it the priority in their life and and, and figuring it out and going doing it. Yeah. So life, you get you get some extra life advice from Ken. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm no, advice, he's this, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't always suggest people follow it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll give it give you any advice you want. <laughs> No, that that's very true, though, and I mean, just in general in life too. I think you know, if you know, if something's a priority to you, you can. There's the only thing holding you back a lot of times is yourself. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And so yeah, it's you know, I well, I can't say it's a a huge part of the reason I live here, but I know people that the reason they live here is to hunt sheep, or, or yeah. you know, a big reason so they can and. uh you know, Alaska's a great place, but if you didn't like the outdoors and didn't want to spend outdoor time or that, didn't appreciate that, I'm not exactly sure why you would want to live here. I know. <laughs> it's not like the weather's a draw. I, every time I go to town, I think I think that some people, and granted, maybe it's a little judgmental of me because I don't know the people, but I just think. What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. Man, if I was, you know, if I, like, if, I, if I didn't like being outdoors and hunting and fishing and just, and can tolerate the winters and all that man i i'd be somewhere way farther south of here that's for sure but uh let's see where the heck did i i keep getting distracted (laughs) well it seems like you're keeping on track pretty well yeah i'm trying to um what the heck else so anna you have been shooting a trad bow lately i've noticed yeah 
that's because I always felt so mechanical when I shot my compound, or I feel mechanical when I shoot my compound. You know, you pull it back, you got to get the pins right, you got to make sure you're not tweaking your wrist, or, you know, and and I just, I just like to be able to pull back and shoot, and so that's what I'd been wanting to do for a long time, but yet I couldn't do it because I had a goal to take the 29, and of course me thinking then I'm going to go out and kill some things with a trad bow would have totally taken that off course. Again, it's all about what are you pursuing? Mm -hmm. I was pursuing the 29. So I stuck with my compound. And I'd also been asking different people or going to archery shops and looking at what they had for trad bows. So here, so here's the other thing. I may have some animals and some of these animals are expensive, but in other ways, I'm very, very frugal. (laughs) And that is, is I didn't want to pay $600 at that point in time for a trad bow. First of all, I didn't know if I'd like it, Mm -hmm. um, or if it'd work for me. So, you know, I was asking around and stuff and I just, I just wasn't willing to put out what people were wanting to sell those bows for. And then Troy Graziata, another friend of ours out here yep. in North Pole. He's like, well, Anna, you know, go get yourself a Samick Sage. They're, you know, it's a little takedown recurve, 139 bucks. You can order it right off Amazon. And and so that's what I did. And so now I get to pluck the screen and, or string yeah. and have fun again, you know. Not that I don't have fun with my compound, but again, it's that I wanted to advance from feeling mechanical to feeling instinctive. And... Um, yeah, so that's what I did. And actually, I ended up buying two because then I'm going like, oh, I don't want to just strengthen the right shoulder. I'll strengthen the left shoulder. Oh, shooting ambidextrous. <laughs> that's cool. Well, actually, so part of, the, part, part of the thing that's happened is I started out right eye dominant. And mm-hmm. as I've aged, I've become left eye dominant. And I shoot right handed. Yeah. So you got to make sure you close the right, the the correct eye, because if yeah. you're not closing the correct eye, you'll shoot like three feet in front of the, you know, three feet oh, to yeah. the left of the animal. So yeah, there's lots of stuff you have to work out when you're bow hunting and as you age with it and stuff like that, you know. But yeah, so I do like the little trad and I took a black bear last year and I'm hoping to take something yeah, this year. Looked with like it. a nice black bear. Oh, it was. It was. Yeah, that was really cool to to see you do that, and it's. I mean, I don't know, because that's the kind of bows I like to shoot, and it's, uh, I don't know, for me personally, there, man, there's just something that feels really good about it. Not to say shooting a compound isn't fun, I just haven't done it in a while. Right. Been too busy blasting stuff with a rifle, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but, which brings me back to, every time I see you post a picture with the rifle and a sheep, I'm like, Tyler... You got to take that bow up there. Remember, we talked about this a few years ago. Yeah, Yeah, I get the talk every once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I can't say I'm going to do it this year either with that toke tag. Yeah. Well, that's where I shot mine. I don't know. After, oh, after these years, I have, I have, whether you believe it or not, I do feel like I've grown a little bit over the years. In that pretty much it's, I want to kill a whopper. I've never, you know, I haven't broke 40 yet. Mm-hmm. And just randomly having drawn that tag, I'm like, I think this is the year. And I, so that's, that's kind of my goal with this is nothing under 40. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it should be, I mean, I know I'll thoroughly enjoy myself. It'll be a lot of fun and. And my buddy Frank was like, oh, I'll carry your bow, too. I said, that's not how it works. I said, if there's a rifle within five miles of me, I'm going to use it. 
just, that's what always I happens. know myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not alone on that. We see a lot of people, they'll take their bow and a rifle, and they go, well, if I can't get them with a bow, I'll, I might shoot it with a rifle, and I guarantee it'll be shot with a rifle. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Mean, yeah. That's, it's almost a foregone conclusion, it seems right. like. Yeah. You know, anytime there's a bow and a rifle, and I'm saying this for myself as well because I, I know myself, and especially on a on a hunt like that, it's uh, I'm gonna have to go, you know, whatever you want to just hundred percent. You know, I I have my bow, and if I may have to be by myself, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I just know if there's a rifle available to me, I'll use it because it's it's kind of it's there's not a lot of things that I like to admit intimidate me anymore. But taking the old recurve sheep hunting is a little intimidating to me still i yeah. I'm, I'm sure i can do it it just is it going to be a matter of of how long <laughs> it's going to take, take your recurve and you'll never take a rifle again yeah that little <laughs> bit i'm a little that scares me a little bit too yeah but. i you know i don't know with ken and i it's just we've never taken a rifle with a son we've taken like a shotgun for backup on, yeah. on some of our grizzly or bear hunts but we've never taken a rifle because it's never something that is interested to shoot to shoot with an animal with a rifle. Um, you know, I just like to be really close to them. And, and um, I feel it gives the animal a chance. I, not that I can go out there and just kill anything, but that's not what I'm saying. What yeah. I'm saying is, is I really want to make it a challenging thing. Yeah. I feel like the harder you work for the that animal, um, the more you appreciate the hunt, the more you appreciate the animal. Now, I'm just speaking for me. I'm not speaking for Ken. Um, but... I just, anyway, yeah, I've had no, no desire makes, to take a rifle. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather walk away, have a hunt that somebody might call unsuccessful because I didn't bring an animal home. To me, no hunt is un, is unsuccessful Yeah, because some of the best stuff out there is the other wildlife and stuff that you get to see or how far can you push yourself. And again, I'm one who kind of pushes don't mind pushing myself, yeah. you know. I don't know, and it seems like to me, I lear- I've learned way more over the years on animal from animals I didn't kill than the ones I did. Right. Yeah, but if a person really wants to get something with a bow, <clears throat> you know, you pretty much need to leave the rifle home and just go with the attitude. You're either going to get it with the bow or you're not going to yep. get it. Even in this last desert sheep hunt we just went on, you know, I had an option of taking a rifle too or using a rifle there, but I made it real clear in the beginning when – I got there that, hey, I got a bow, and it's either going to die with a bow or it's not going to die. Yeah, you know? and that's something if, if you want, if you, unless you got a secret project in the works, I'd love to hear about that. I've seen a couple of the pictures, but I'd love to hear about that desert sheep hunt. Yeah, it was a phenomenal hunt and a phenomenal place, really. It's in, uh, in La Pomosa in Mexico. It's actually a 100,000-acre privately owned piece of property, which is huge, and it has a mountain range. It has some mesa and some flat, and these people are real interested in wildlife. And in Mexico, they owned the property. They were a fairly well-to-do family, and so they bought 100 sheep 12 years ago from Tiburon Island, and they had them transplanted to their own personal private property. Um, Since then, that herd has grown to about um, 600, so they have... These 600 sheep, they've also introduced um, elk, antelope, mule deer, white-tailed deer. All of this stuff is on Prong this corn. property, mm-hmm. and it's all free-range property. It's unfenced, and um, and they're just 
it's an example of people who cared about conservation, compared about, uh, cared about wildlife, and actually put their money where their mouth was, and they've created this place. And it's really good. They take about 15 sheep a year. They have kind of a minimum size of sheep they want you to shoot, and that's 170. Boone and Crockett is mm-hmm. 168 on desert sheep. So really, um, their sh- every sheep shot there pretty much is going to be a Boone and Crockett sheep, yeah. which really says something. Yeah, so they're taking 15 Boone and Crockett sheep a year. Um, the facilities are first class. They've spent a lot of money in extreme detail in the um, architecture of what they built there. They have outbuildings, casitas for guests. They have a main lodge. They have uh, a chef. They have um, waiters. It, it, you're really treated well. You're not just... You're not living Scoop in a mountain house. Oh, no. And on the other side of that coin, it's probably not the most remote hunt in the world. Um, it's basically this area where there's a lot. There's some roads, some dirt desert mm-hmm. roads, and they drive those roads and glass the mountains. You know, the mountains go from about 4,200 feet to, I think, uh, I think about 86 or, or 8,600 feet. So... You know, there's some height to them, and there's some steepness to them, and it's it's rugged. Yeah. Um, but the, you're basically finding the sheep by driving and glassing hillsides, and then driving on and glassing hillsides. But there's a lot of them, and we saw a lot of sheep. Um, of course, to find a, a sheep big enough to hunt or to shoot, it takes some look, and so oh, yeah. you can hunt. You can look all day and not find one. We were pretty fortunate. We saw probably a a shooter. Uh, a ram about every day and we made numerous stocks and um it was just a really good experience and you're seeing so much of that other wildlife at the same time it's just i mean yeah it's just a great experience oh yeah so and uh and you did kill you did kill a ram with your bow yeah i did i was actually the first bow hunter that they had so that it that put a uh, some pressure on it. Actually, the way this stuff kind of came together was, is I won this hunt at the um, at a life member breakfast with the Wild Sheep Foundation, and so and and when I won it, they had never had a bow hunter, but I I told them, hey, I'm a bow hunter. Will you take me? And they go, yeah. Well, you won the hunt. I guess we will. You know. Yeah. And so they they were interested in taking it, but they were pretty apprehensive in the same time. And I'm apprehensive, or or, or at least. I really wanted this hunt to go well. I didn't want to screw this thing up. I didn't want to wound something. I didn't. Mm. I, I just wanted it to be a good hunt. I want to be able to walk away with there, represent bow hunters well, and I wanted to represent um, the Wild Sheep Foundation well because this is a big promotion for them, and they they raffle one of these every year, and everybody knows about them, and everybody's looking to see how these results are, and everybody knows about this this La Pomosa, the place. And it has a very extremely good reputation. So I just didn't need to go there with everybody's eyes on yeah. it and make a, make a mess of something. Would have been a lot less pressure if it was just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I was just out here in a mountain range of Alaska, maybe, you know, wouldn't have been so much pressure. But anyway, so, and it was a bit of a struggle because they didn't, hadn't hunted bow hunters and they didn't know really how, you still have to go with their guides and so forth. And they really didn't know how to go about it. They were very good at rifle hunting, but most of those shots are about 400 yards. So to try to get them to get me within... Or to think in terms Ten of getting times within, closer. yeah, thirty <laughs> yards or forty yards, it, it took some. It took a, there was a definitely a learning curve. Yeah, but they were real receptive and they were very good hunters and they learned quick. And but it did take some days. About the fifth day, 
everybody was getting pretty discouraged. We'd blown several stocks. It wasn't working right. And, and you know, it was like, hey, this may not happen. Maybe we need to try something different. You sure you want to do this with a bow and yada, yada. But I says, it will happen. We just have to keep doing this. Yeah. It will happen. And on the seventh day, by and, and they actually they had improved. We started <clears throat> wearing quieter clothes, quieter shoes, paying more attention to the wind, approaching the animal on better, more thought-out stalks. And by the seventh day, we were getting closer and closer. And in fact, on the seventh day, I was able to able to shoot one with, with a long, uh, hard stalk with you know uh, you know an intricate um, stalk that we were very careful in making and successfully so. So yeah. it did work, and everybody was super excited. Oh, I it was, bet. <laughs> it was, you know, you know, everybody was happy. It all worked out. It went well, and um, it, it was a, it was just a real good, real good hunt. And it came it, back with a good sheep. Yeah, yeah, it was looked like you a know? really nice sheep. Yeah, it's probably going to score about one seventy. Man, so yeah, that's that's big, and you know, for reference, like you said, you know. Getting a Boone and Crockett sheep is any not animal. easy. Yeah, any, you animal. Know, any animal. And sheep, it seems, especially, are, are pretty hard to come by. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's awesome. And the day before I shot this one, we actually made a stalk. Another pretty long stalk took most of the afternoon. And we uh, that sheep was probably 180 plus. I know it was 180. And it may have been more like one, 185. It was really a nice sheep, really a large one. And we had actually gotten within 30 yards of it. But there was some brush between us, and before, you know, it was one of those deals where you're hoping he steps out behind the brush, and he never did, and he turned, and pretty soon, you know, winds or whatever, he starts figuring yeah. out something's up, and he took off straight away from us, and I never got a shot, oh. and and that would have been a a real nice animal. He was heavy. Take. I don't know how that guy held his head up. <laughs> he Boy, was, was really big, heavy. Really a nice sheep. Yeah, that's interesting. Not ever having any bighorn experience, looking at photos of some on on facebook or whatever you see you know these big horns and and just knowing doll sheep really you know oh you know like 42 43 inches guys saying you know some of these just big big horns and i'm like no way like just but they are just massive you know way bigger you know you know they're they're a lot longer but they don't when you're looking as far as like what a doll sheep looks like they may not look like it but they are huge yeah some of those sheep you know they'll look um they don't even look like they have a full curl. Yeah. You know, they might even, and especially those Tiburon sheep that, and you know, that they were transplanted this place. They, they're really massive, really, they carry their weight real well, and they come way off the back of their head. They drop real low, but they don't come around in front of their face very much. So yeah. they can look like a half curl, three quarter curl sheep, but they still might score 170. Yeah. So yeah, I think his amazing. was, um, he just had like, what, 16 and a quarter inch bases or something Jeez. like that. Yeah, they're huge That's bases. Huge. And then the one side I know was like 36 something, yeah, you know. It doesn't, doesn't and they look carry that their long. weight. Yeah. So, you know, it's like 16, 15. I mean, they really carry their weight out there. Yeah, that would be that would be challenging to me like if you just drop me in that I would have no idea gauging length on them but you would especially. learn it real quick um and what you're really looking for with those sheep is is how far they carry their mass because the younger ones they all come off their head pretty big mm-hmm. so you're looking at a younger one and you're going man that's a huge sheep that thing's got to be you know mm-hmm. i don't know 300 points or something yeah but when you get to looking a little closer you realize that that weight drops off pretty quick and they I narrow see. down you know through the length of the horn 
But when you see the sheep where that mass that's coming off their head is still down around half the length of the horn, you know, it's still holding that mass. Yeah. You go, okay, you, that is unmistakable. And, yeah. And um, you see it. Yeah, that's cool. I uh, uh, got me chomping at the bit now. Well, yeah. I'm just staring at these sheep for those of you <laughs> who aren't here in the room with us. We're actually sitting in our, our uh, game room here with Tyler. And um, so we have our, some of our mounts here. And Anna has her Grand Slam of sheep, uh, all shoulder mounts on the wall in one location. And they're an impressive group of sheep. Every one of them is a good sheep. Yeah. There's not there's no slouch in the bunch. And then I've got my Grand Slam here um, uh, with one life-size stone sheep. And it's in a, really a nice, impressive mount. A local guy uh, mounted here. Does a real good job. So yeah. we got a few things we're Skip. looking at as yeah. we're talking. <laughs> yeah, he mounts my sheep too. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, looking at, at Anna's desert over there and i can see what you mean by how it, how it just carries it ma- its mass like that kind of reminds me of a much heftier version of the doll sheep i shot last year um and he he was deceivingly he it's kind of deceiving his real tight curl genetics not an overly huge sheep but just carried it all the way and uh yeah and yeah. actually down there they've got two two species they've got this which is the whimsy yeah i think it's called mix I, there's a mexicana and a mexicali and i think maybe anyway ken shot the different species this one oh. here it still has that curl to it whereas his has no curl it just oh, comes like this yeah kind of like and I've, I've and i imagine even within those you get different genetics you know just right. like doll sheep like there's you know the the sheep my buddy shot on her hunt last year i don't think would have ever made full curl just real you know real far back and deep mm-hmm. and just didn't have that initial curl in his first couple of years of growth to right to make it yeah, there's um <clears throat> desert that anna shot was on carmen island and that particular strain or breed or whatever you want to call it i mean they're all desert sheep but that genetics in those are a much tighter curl they they have mass they're more generally broomed so they look like a brute sort of of a horn um although they don't they're not nearly as long and they're and they they're just a shorter horn with a tighter curl where these ones the genetics in those ones and um <clears throat> tiburon are a much longer horn but not so tight of a curl so they don't they don't have that full curl look they've got kind of a half curl yeah mm-hmm. it's almost misleading because you think they might not score that good until you really start to look at them and see that the mass at the base and how yeah. well that's carried through the horn and it really adds to the score yeah yeah looking around and i you know you get and even just my little office there just thinking all the all the memories in this room mm-hmm. <laughs> and experiences now, the problem is, is the room isn't big enough, and we're not going to yeah. build a bigger room, so now we're just doing Europeans, and now they're laying all over the floor, <laughs> you know, so. Nothing wrong with that. We don't currently yeah. have a two-year-old running around that thinks he's Davy Crockett. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, on, on all these hunts, too, something to be said, especially when you're bow hunting, is uh, we alluded to it earlier, there's a lot of ups and downs in these hunts Mm -hmm. you know you don't go out here every day just having a great time and everything's rosy i mean there's a ton of frustration in it along the way you're you're, you know you have days where you blow stocks you do stupid stuff you know you just kick yourself you wish you could Mm -hmm. do it over and 
you, you, some days I've been so frustrated, I just want to throw my bow away and get on the next airplane and never look at it yeah. again, you know. <laughs> but the day later, you know, you have a good day and everything goes together. And then eventually, it usually happens quick. You end up in a situation, you get your animal, you actually kill it. You know, an hour before, you're all bummed out. And, and within an hour's time or half, sometimes in a matter of minutes, you see something, you get on them and you shoot them. And then it's just you're totally elated and everything's great. So it, it there is a lot of ups and downs in it. it yeah. It's emotional. I mean, you put a lot into these things, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort. There, it's an emotional experience. Oh, yeah. And even... I mean that just that reminds me again that that grizzly bear last year of that hopefully this season goes better than last year. <laughs> I mean it ended up on a high note and maybe I wouldn't appreciate it as much if I mm-hmm. hadn't had such a rough season and it was just, you know, it's it wasn't sheep hunting by any means, but uh that bear and I mean like I said had been fighting mechanical boat issues mm-hmm. the whole season just seemed like nothing was going right. I was having big bore sp- big bear spook and not come in and you know you could hear them coming they just happened to come in downwind and spook and you never see them again and like i said it was at the tail end of two i think it'd been two months i'd been at it and then uh then it was the night before i actually killed them was running up there was going to rebate this bait run up and rebate my upper bait and come back down and hunt that and my boat broke down about Again, <laughs> lost a set of be- <laughs> my brand new bearings, had about 15 hours on them. Lost them again about a mile up from that bait. So I just floated. It was like 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I just floated down and tied her off and climbed up in the tree stand. Mm. And that night, my dad texted my dad, and he was bringing his boat down to come tow me back out. And he just, it was like almost uh, 11.30 midnight and he texted me saying he was got there, was putting his boat in the water. And I hear, and there was two little grizzlies sitting there feeding and kind of watching them. And I heard this other bear jump in the water on the, and swim across to my side and get out and hear him shake off. And then he's starting to come closer and closer and then knows these other two bears are there. So he starts huffing and those bears took off and he came in just stomping and huffing and, I'm holding ready to shoot him, and he just walked right through, never gave me a shot, went after them, and didn't come back that night. And, uh, oh, I was just about the lowest, just right there. If he would have stopped for for a couple seconds, there's one spot he stopped, but for about half a second and behind some, mm-hmm. some birch limbs. But uh, then I finally I borrowed my dad's boat and then came, <laughs> went back the next night, and he actually you know, was kind of funny actually came in about nine o'clock like less than an hour after i sat down which is normally it's a after midnight deal mm-hmm. with those things but yeah it's <clears throat> i can see that and when i when i start finally do just want to take the recurve sheep hunt and it'll i'm sure there'll be a lot of times <laughs> i want to bust it up in the rocks and and say to heck with it but i know i can do it and i know it'll uh It'll be well worth it once. Absolutely. Once I do. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> it's a lot of fun. Just trying to get up on them. Oh, yeah. And it's, because uh, I, you know, shooting them with a rifle, I'd never really tried. <clears throat> I don't want to get that close if I can avoid it a lot of times, because then you get, or you can get tend to get rushed situations, but I'm kind of excited for that to, it'll take it to a whole different level where, 
got to really micro analyze mm-hmm. everything you're doing and there's going to be a lot of walks back to the tent cussing in the dark i'm <laughs> sure but yeah but again with persistence it it, it always happens it you always get your opportunity you, you know and you get a, you get a lot of situations where it's a real close opportunity but it just doesn't quite come together mm-hmm. some little thing at the last minute messes it up that happens too but but eventually it all will come together and you know you get your animal so it does it does happen with persistence and you don't have to be a particularly good hunter i don't i don't think we're particularly good hunting and yeah. i know i'm not a particularly good shot and you know, I always say there's people that shoot better than me. There's people that shot way more than me, shot bigger than me. But I don't think there's too many that like it better than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. No, that's, yeah, that's awesome. And like you said, the persistence is is such a key. I mean, whether whether it's, you know, rifle hunting or bow hunting, obviously you're going to tend to need, if you're in it for the long haul as a, as, as a bow hunter, it's going to take, take a little bit more of it. But, uh. You know, we don't really call weather days when we're out there. Yeah. That's one thing. I know a lot of people go, oh, I couldn't get out of the tent. And I tell you what, we've, well, my doll sheep, you know, we took that on terrible, terrible weather. I remember the pictures. Yeah, it was just socked in. Absolutely socked in. There were no planes flying and stuff. And, you know, my bighorn, it was like minus 27. You know, if you don't get out there, if you don't get out of the tent, you won't get it done. Her whole successful doll sheep hunt was in just absolutely miserable weather. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, every day just rain, fogged in, snow. Snow. Uh, the day she, we, we hunted multiple days in the fog. Um, the day she shot hers, it was you know we climb up to the top of the mountain in the fog, and then you, you couldn't know, see anything. It was just totally socked in. But then little openings would happen, you know, and so you'd see maybe across the little valley and see part of the hillside and that would last for a couple minutes and then that would close up. And then a little while later, somewhere else might open up a little bit. And it was just one of those deals and one of those little pockets opened up and there was some sheep. So, but it closed right off. So the entire stock was made in the fog. In the fog. Yeah. Yeah. Within (laughs) close enough range to see them. Yeah. And I've, that fog, especially, you know, getting up there and i've spent some days in the tent but it's there's something to be said for being that if you you know you have to be up there where you can see if you get a get you know because there's there's been a couple sheep that i've used fog to get close to and uh and i don't know where i was going with that but (laughs) (laughs) well but yeah i mean there's definitely uh just making yourself be out there you're not going to have the opportunity if you're if you're right just sitting in the and tent. it's all about opportunity yeah you know yeah you know it's to each their own some people you know you know don't want to go through that some of those situations are hard you know i mean it's cold it's foggy it's you know you're on the mountains in the fog you know you better be paying attention a little yeah. bit you know yeah. and uh and you know we usually carry gps's and stuff and a lot of times we'll lay down a breadcrumb mm-hmm. so that we know no matter what happens we can follow that breadcrumb back to yeah. where we came and as you know tyler you know with the sheep hunting a lot of times you can get to the top of a ridge and you know if you just drop over this ridge you know camps right down below and you just got there through a long about 
way to get there. Yep. So you drop off because you think you can see the river down there. Well, you can see the valley, but you get halfway down and you're in a position where, hey, I can't get down any further. Well, yep. we just dropped off some steep stuff. I'm not sure we can get back yeah. up there either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's got to be careful. There's been, you know, a couple, I think my 10th one. Yeah, it was packing out my 10th ram. We, you know, we really, we were hunting in middle of September and weather really was great considering, but the last, you know, 10 miles packing out that last day, it was all, you couldn't see a hundred yards mm-hmm. and like just, we, that's one of the few times we'll walk GPS, checking the GPS constantly because we did not, you know, loaded heavy, did not want to come down off that, the wrong way off that ridge line. And I, I know quite a few guys have done that. Oh, well, and I've done a time or two myself, like you said. Oh, we'll just drop down here and get down to the river. Well, you drop down a cut you hadn't been down before and and end up generating a whole lot more work for yourself. And you're already cold and tired and wet and hungry. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh-huh. one particular hunt in the Brooks Range. We came down this side. We hadn't gone up. And we could see the river down there. It was about 3,000 foot below us. But we could see it. And we were looking and we're looking. and says, I know we can get down here. So we get all the way down until we get maybe like 100 foot above that river, and it's a steep cliff right down to the water. Almost totally sheer. You know, fortunately, we could side hill it far enough that we found a little chute. Yeah. We got through and got down. But so even in that, we back. still had to do some jumping. I mean, yeah. like literally, like, well, okay, we'll jump here and hopefully go down there and we can jump again. Uh, you know, like 10-foot ten, ten little drops. I yeah, mean, you but know. you're almost all the way down and, and you just couldn't see that cliff from our angle, you know. It just looked like that slope went right to the water, but it didn't. Yeah, that steep country is... It's is, deceiving. Is, it is tough. Like, you know, this goat hunt we were just on... I was just on down in Kodiak. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a, by goat hunting standards, wasn't a real tough hunt, but there were some really tough aspects to it. You know, I mean, they, they're still, they're mountain goats. They live in right. nasty stuff. And the one I shot mine on, I think she, she was about 1300 feet and slid and rolled and fell off a cliff about a hundred feet and landed in an alder and it was basically 45 degrees or steeper all the way down, and it was all solid alders. It was, if it wasn't alders, it was uh, salmonberry bushes. Mm-hmm. And we had we kind of, we were only able to see so much of the hill, though. We just kind of, before it got dark, kind of peaked and figured, well, we'll, we'll start out going that way <laughs> and just kind of stumble your way down the hill. Fortunately, we didn't get in, encounter anything we couldn't get through. We couldn't mm-hmm. get through, but it was... Just knowing in the back of my head all the times where you come down and get cliffed out or, and there was a lot of broken cliffs and big boulder piles and stuff like that down there, but it, uh, definitely was a little, little bit of a knot in the stomach starting out and doing Mm -hmm. that, but you you get through it and it's a fond memory afterwards. I don't know about you, but like you were saying, it's, you know, it was relatively, uh, you know, not too bad a hunt because, you know, it's. 1300 feet climb which isn't too bad but you know i find some of that country especially when you're more in winter conditions you've got long johns on you've got heavier clothes on you got a heavier jacket on you know and you got some snow you're dealing with and just uneven train that can be a pull that can be that 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 clothes just zaps you yeah yeah it was it was it was tough i mean it sucked but uh parts of it sucked but yeah like that was that's the last time I could remember on a hunt wearing my long johns the entire time, sheep hunting are mm. just too hot for me. Uh-huh. But I kind of had to have them because it was, you know, you can get all hot and sweaty, but as soon as you stop, it's 
cold. It's like 32 to 38 degrees basically the whole time. I mean, granted, after finishing the winter running traps and hanging out up here in 30, 40 below country. <laughs> Didn't seem good. <laughs> it did, it's seemed pretty warm for a while, but it's it's cold and well, you're down there on that coast, down there on Kodiak, and you wet. know, and it's, yeah, it's that it's moist really air. Human. Yeah, and it was, uh, and there was still some snow left. I was wishing, like I'd mentioned, I think to you guys, I was wishing we'd caught a little bit of the lower snow, um, but there was still quite a bit. Every little cut you'd go up, and there was something just soul-crushing about fighting through up through that real exactly. thick berry brush oh, that and, stuff and is to awful. me just the extra clothes you have on is yeah noticeably takes uh, noticeably more energy to do that it's, oh yeah it's just more work you wouldn't think so but it just is and just the even though in that that salmon berry brush even though it's dead at the time Still which uh, uh, yeah i mean i going through some of that stuff alive would be just horrendous but it just it's like it gives you just enough resistance to make it piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember like, a machete like, being used just, on it one time. <laughs> you know, and it's it's dead. So I think John and I, the guy I went with, talked about this. It's dead, so it's it's not like you can just grab grab a piece and, and it's fortunately the, the the thorns in it weren't holding as steady as when it was green, but uh I mean you still get jabbed all over the place and it's not like you can grab it and use it to really pull yourself or it'll just because it just breaks Mm -hmm. but it's like it all and it's always sticking in your face seems like and just grabbing you everywhere you know grab you by the legs the arms the crotch and just trying to offers just enough resistance as you're trying to climb up the hill just barely being able to keep your feet you know you get a try to get a a push and then your foot slides out from under you Mm -hmm. and rolling around and just not having a good time but yeah i I can laugh about it now (laughs) (laughs) it Uh, took us like it took us two hours to get from where i shot to where where that goat died wow and it was a less than 200 yards i couldn't believe it yeah kodiak is thick we've been in some really thick stuff down there and uh you know even just trying to hunt deer it's in fact we were just down there on kodiak last november it was a good time course you know the deer populations had declined so badly where we were we figured it was down by 50 percent oh wow and i'd heard mixed reports like it it really depended on like certain portions of the island got hit really hard and and others others didn't so much and then you know one guy says oh well it seems like they hit them hard enough that they didn't have real good antler growth because it seemed like two years ago was just a buck bonanza down oh my gosh it was yeah, I think I think the whole island got hit, and and I, the way that I interpreted things was the north part got clobbered. There's yeah. not a whole lot of live deer left. The south end still has quite a few deer, but those older bucks got hit pretty hard because they come out of the rut, yeah. and then that weather, bad winter, uh, hurts them. So even though there was still quite a few deer around, it was really hard to find a good buck. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anywhere on the island where people were successful on big deer. I think yeah. they, I think they got hurt all over. Yeah. So it's and that seems like always the question everybody everybody's always talking about as far as Kodiak goes is is what the deer are looking like this year because it can be go from just like two years ago everybody I knew that went down there was killing just whopper bucks and then hard times pretty quick mm-hmm. it can change it's amazing how much to me just the weather up here can affect stuff whether it's sheep or deer or mm-hmm. 
Seems like it doesn't affect the goats at all because, I mean, I'm sure it does. But, but yeah, they they just thrive in that. Well, now we've got more than weather with the sheep. We've got that bacteria in some of the herds they're finding. Yeah, and that came out, I think, is when I got back into Kodiak, started hearing about that. And it's scary. I, I myself don't know what to think of it yet. Um, I don't know that much about it, obviously. It did... Because I know um, Sheep Foundation has been worried about them getting it mm-hmm. from from livestock, especially in that Palmer area, and that was the first, at least, uh, released results, positive results right. of it were in that general area. So that was super alarming, and I don't know whether to feel better about about it now that they have found it in basically all over the state. I think Central Alaska Range, the White Mountains, the Brooks Range. I don't know if. My initial impression of that tells me that it's been here for decades. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know, it just would seem that, <clears throat> excuse me, those populations are isolated from each other enough that it would take years and years and years to move. So I don't know. I think it's de- it's definitely a concern, though, and mm-hmm. something that, um, on one hand, I, I hope that no, no, that cool heads prevail and, and it's looked at from a very scientific um, way as far as, you know, because you see people pop up on Facebook, oh, we need to shut all the sheep hunting down. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's let's just pump our brakes a little bit. And and hopefully um, now that it's they know it's here that they can, you know, get the, get the funding or whatever they need to do to do some really in-depth study on yeah, it. Yeah, and, and that's what, what they need to do is more in-depth study. Um, when we were in Wyoming, we were talking to them, you know, Wyoming, they're bighorn populations. They've had a problem with this for years, yeah. you know, and they've just been decimated and stuff. And I can't remember who we were talking to down there, but they were saying that, you know, the the action they take is if a bighorn is down anywhere near the domestic stuff and they test that thing and he's got any type of bacteria at all, mm-hmm. you know, they, they take him out. Yeah. You know, they don't let him get back to the herd. Yeah. So... You know, I don't know how long it takes the bacteria. In fact, they might have just been even saying if the sheep get down that low around the domestic herds, they they don't let them get back to, up to the yeah. to the big herds, the wild herds. I think herds. it's so easy for them to pick it up. It is, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those one of those things we'll just have to, I guess, see and and. So you said they they found some in the Brooks Range. I hadn't heard <laughs> that. Yeah, twenty six B. Because he was in unit 26, 25C, 20A. I think it was 20A, yeah. So but they, um, they, I thought they'd been testing for this stuff periodically for I years. So how did all of a sudden they start uh, turning up everywhere? You it's know, kind of strange. I don't I don't remember ever testing. Of course, most of my rams, I've skull-capped them before I brought them in. Um, haven't been doing it the past few years. But last year was the first year I remember them swabbing. So I think these are all results from rams killed last year. I thought that there was something that said the results were, or at least the initial results were from 2016. Oh, maybe they yeah, I think could it was be right. Yeah. 2016 is when they did them, they did the research on them, and they got the results back, and then, of course, took their time releasing the results. Yeah. You know, I so. just I just remember... Uh, I just remember recently yeah. having, them, having them swab when they started doing a little bit more of the in-depth... Um, study on the ceiling. Probably, I know they're doing like an age age structure study and stuff like that. 
But yeah, it's uh, I you almost wonder if they released that press release because was it Fishing Game that did the initial one? I don't know. You kind of wonder if if they did that as is a response to it, be like, no, well, we you know how long have they known about it? And yeah. are they just putting that out to. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. know. You know, yeah, I know the, the wild sheep got involved with the Finhorn Summit. I'm kind of with you. I don't know what to make of it either. There's parts of it that should be alarming, and and you really want to take it serious. But then there's parts of it that don't seem to quite add up, and yeah. so you really wonder what the truth is here. Yeah. Are you going to the uh, Alaska Wild Sheep Convention? In I'm April? not sure if I'm going to be able to make it down there or not mm-hmm. yet. I'd kind of like to, though. Yeah, I think we're going to make it, it down there. Get it on that stone sheep and, raffle. <laughs> oh, they've got a stone sheep. Oh, I've got to go do that. But, yeah. yeah, so I'm sure they'll have somebody talking about it. Um, you know, it's just, it'll be interesting to hear. Yeah, it's, uh, and I guess it just adds adds a little more, I don't know what you want to say, not fuel to the fire. Lately, I, and even if I can figure out what I'm trying to say, I've just, over the years, the, I'm not I'm not old, but the older I've gotten, I, I just kind of don't want to jump to to anything, you know. And with all the all the just slew of different proposals and stuff, I'm just like I just I'm afraid if they change anything, they're going to screw it up. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So let's uh, let's see what this really is all entailed before we start doing extremes. So just for the listeners, because I I don't know if we really said what we're talking about is a virus. Or, or a bacteria, a bacteria. A bacteria. A pneumonia bacteria, a, a pneumonia bacteria that uh, is real prevalent in domestic sheep, but they can survive it, and it, it doesn't impact them. But when it gets into a uh, wild sheep population, it's fatal and can really decimate uh, wild sheep. And so this is a problem in the country, throughout the states where there's. Uh, mingling between wild and domestic sheep and goats. The and goats carry goats it too. Goats can pick it up mm-hmm. too. And in Alaska, they didn't think it existed. There wasn't supposedly any known cases, but there's always been a little concern because we do have some domestic sheep, and they want to try to keep them isolated from the wild sheep. But now, all of a sudden, they're coming out saying, hey, you know, we found cases of this uh, bacteria in our wild sheep in in what I was thinking was somewhat uh, localized areas. But now, according to what Tyler's saying, is, is apparently... It's been tested positive in quite a few areas. Now, that bacteria, there's different strains of it. So in some areas, it could be really fatal to sheep. In other areas, they might be able to survive it, the wild ones. So it's unclear on in Alaska exactly how strong of a strain this is or how detrimental it might be or can sheep survive with it. Yeah. That's about that's about all I know about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think it's, it's um, I don't know the, the full name. It's called like M-O-V-I or Movi or yeah, whatever is the got nickname some for M O V I, yeah. Yeah, that I'm. I have no idea what yeah. the actual name is, but yeah, I know they didn't specify if they knew what strain it was, but it can. From what the little bit of reading I've done on it, it it can it causes pneumonia. It can cause pneumonia in sheep, and that's you know de- decimated some of the local herds of bighorns down in the states. And until now, it was. You know, suppose that there had been no thin horn sheep, doll sheep, or stone sheep exposed to it. But being, because ah, it was, to back it up a little bit, they there was a press release saying that they had tested, I think, four rams tested mm-hmm. positive for it and a couple mountain goats in this area that there was some concern about the, the 
local livestock coming in potentially coming in contact with sheep and then it was just a two or three days later fishing game gave the press release listing all the units that had positive test results from it and there's just a lot to learn i think because all the results came from otherwise healthy rams that had been harvested and uh so i think there's a lot to learn whether or not that's going to what effects that has on sheep and thinking back you know being that widespread in my mind means it's been here maybe since before i was born but it's you know could it have played a factor in some of the winter kills yeah, we've seen over the years exactly right. that's what i wonder you know our sheep population is always fluctuating and they're always kind of uh, blaming it on the winters or you know always trying to come up with a predation or what's causing these die-offs from time to time you know maybe it's been this this bacteria playing a part yeah. and we just we just never yeah. knew it and it seemed like they they were you know they whoever whoever had been studying it mentioned that it sometimes takes a stressor like a bad winter or something to really kick it into gear so it you know it it very well could have been playing a factor in it i don't know that's just um something i'll have we'll have to watch and and see see what they can learn about it but i think it's going to be a a bit of a process so i don't know whether to feel good that it's all over (laughs) instead of just one area or or bad i don't know well, I don't either, but I tend to think if it's all over, it's been all over for a while. This just yeah. didn't happen in the last year. Yeah. And um, the sheep seem to be handling it, so hopefully it's a milder strain. A manageable. And, yeah. yeah. And so hopefully it's not going to be yeah. a catastrophe. But ag- yeah. again, I hope like science plays a whole big part in the management of the of the sheep and, and this... Uh, bacteria that they're carrying because you know the proposals that are going to come into fish and game yeah you know there's going to be some even crazier. crazier yeah exactly crazy proposals yeah and that's yeah <laughs> and there's crazy proposals every bit board a game cycle but you just always it's like uh I close my eyes and hope one of them doesn't get through um yeah it's going to be nuts but yeah hopefully cooler heads will prevail i mean ultimately i want I want my kid to have the same opportunity, or my Absolutely. kids, my son and my daughter, to have the same opportunities that I have, and uh, you know whatever we've got to do to to take care of them. But let's not jump to conclusions. <laughs> let's not get crazy right away. Is my is my feeling on it? Um, but yeah. So and this and to kind of I guess give a little bit back it up a little bit more. The the why I'm saying I may feel better about this for for the listeners that it's all over the state and it's been here is the fear was that this would get transferred from livestock and then sweep across the state like the angel of death knocking sheep down everywhere and uh and i mean it's kind of that's what's happened to a lot of bighorns down in the states and they've had to do some very intensive Mm -hmm. management to to help help the sheep and uh yeah so with that we're just gonna have to see where that see where that goes i guess and pay attention mm-hmm. but yeah well guys uh i guess we're probably probably talking your ear off <laughs> but uh i really appreciate you guys sitting down with me and doing this i'm still kind of in the experimental phase of this whole podcasting thing but it's been great catching up with you running you down i Notice I didn't waste too much time once you got back into town. No, you didn't. <laughs> Which no. is fine because, you know, we're going to be off on the next adventure here soon. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, we're pretty busy, so you know we're glad to spend the time doing it when we're when we're here. So yeah. you caught us at a good time. You yeah, know. and you know I like participating in stuff like this because it's all a way of giving back. You know, that's one thing Ken and I feel really strongly about is giving back um, to the community of hunting that has given us so much. You know, the um, we just so much love to hunt and love to be outdoors and, and love to bow hunt. And so whatever we can give back to inspire, educate, entertain, um, you know, friendships we make and stuff, that's, that's important to us. I mean, you've got to, we've, we've got to carry this on for our children. Like you said, you want your son and your daughter out there. And if, if you don't, if the pe- if people who are in this don't give back and don't actively participate, it will disappear on us, so. Yeah, just, you know, everybody can do certain things to help, and, you know, and, and I'm sure everybody's heard it, so it's like a broken record, but, you know, hunting is under attack, and um, if we don't stick together and we don't promote organizations that are out there trying to protect our hunting, you know, it, it's going to come to an end. And, you know, I, I know there's always controversies in all these organizations, and, People can find fault in every one of them, and every one of them, there's something you don't like about them. I don't like things about every one of them, but they're the only things we have, and they're what's out there trying to protect our rights, and I feel for that reason alone, they're important to support and to, you know, donate to or volunteer time to, or if at least nothing else, you know, let let them exist and and, um, give them your approval because, Without them, we're we're pretty well gone as hunters. It isn't, you know. And, and, you know, that's even like us, even though we're just strictly bow hunters, we don't care how people hunt, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. all methods, whether it be rifle, you know, I'm teasing, you know. No, no, I'm not teasing you. I'm telling you, leave that rifle behind (laughs) and get out there on the mountain with your trad bow. But I won't tell you about all the pro staffs I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you must have seen my facebook I did, post i did see it it was pretty good well i don't know you know I, I i don't people can do what they want i don't i don't really care but anyway i'm just saying you know we need to support everybody however their method of hunting is and, and trapping you know yeah. i mean that's part of the management of it too so yeah. you know you just i i know there's a lot of bow hunters that are like you know kind of against rifle hunting or or trad against recur, or I mean, um, trad against uh, compound or whatever. But it's like, you know, what are you going to do? So when I can no longer draw a bow, I dread that day. But there's probably going to come a day I no longer draw a bow. Am I going to stop hunting? You know, am I going to stop hunting? She's going to get a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> or and I couldn't blame you for. No, like she's I, not. <laughs> <laughs> or a rifle, or yeah. I mean, what do you do? You know. And so people get stubborn in their heads about, oh, well, I would never, you know, hunt this way or hunt that way. Well, give yourself time. When you're old, you might. Well, you know, you know the, the, the funny thing as far as hunting methods or, as I say, you know, bear baiting or hunting musk ox or most of those hunts that people, most, I don't know, if I had to guess a number, 99% of the people that have all that bad stuff to say about them, have never tried it, tried going and doing it themselves. But that's just a little observation of mine. Right. Yeah, they. everybody needs to support everybody yeah. else's use. I mean, they're all outdoor uses, and, and we need to support them, and we need to stick together. I, I, 
believe pretty you know firmly in that this idea that one group's better than another they're doing it the right way and somebody else is doing it the wrong way there's no right and wrong there's just you're either out there you know being reasonably ethical and and participating and and enjoying or or mm-hmm. you're not but yeah. uh, you know as long as you're out there having fun we we've never been one to a lot of people like they try to get away from people in the field. I'm, I mean, we like to get as remote as we can too, and mm-hmm. not bump right. into people. But you know, I've never been uh, unhappy about bumping into people in the field. I just never have. When I see other people out, I always feel like good. You know, somebody else is out here doing it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, you know, and I you know try to accept their uh, right to be there as much as mine. Yeah, and, and uh, we'll you know times in the past I've actually. Court, you know, whether I <laughs> mean initially, ah, there's someone else back here, but a lot of times go over and just, yeah, say hi and coordinate. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of, you know, every time that's happened for me, it's, it's usually worked out great, you know, mm-hmm. kind of neither one of us wants to be stomping on e- each other. And so we'll, we'll, uh, both end up having a good time, but, uh, and made some pretty good friends that way actually right. too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, well, I certain will really end it now, I guess, but uh, we'll certainly appreciate you guys um, sitting down with me. Well, we're always glad to talk to you, Tyler. You've been a good influence on the hunting community and anything we can do to help, let us know. All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tyler.